arriving soon. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com Do you like to listen? Hello, this is Daniel Foytek, and welcome to Season 2, Episode number 11 of The Lift. Today's episode of The Lift was written by Samantha Pleasant Labah of the Just a Story podcast, which you can find on Twitter at Just a Story Pod and their website at justastorypod.com. Before we get started today, a quick thank you to all of our new and existing Patreon supporters. Your support helps keep the show coming. Since our last episode, we've gotten support from Ariel Teague, Cyrese Locke, Robert Light, and Rafael Estrada. Thanks so much for riding along with us on the left. A lot more time and effort goes into making this show than you might realize, so we really appreciate your support. It lets us know that you do appreciate the effort. For a full list of all supporters, check out our website at victoriaslift.com forward slash support. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash victoriaslift. If you support the show, we have fun rewards like bookmarks, a special Patreon-only version of the show, an exclusive Patreon feed, and at the $5 a month and above level, you get bonus audio and more. Also, a big thank you to those who took the time to rate the show five stars and write a nice review on iTunes. We definitely appreciate that. As always, you can check out our website at victoriaslift.com for more information and links to everything. Today's episode features narration by Cynthia Lohman and additional voice work by yours truly. And of course, Amber Collins as Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes. And now we'll let Samantha say hello and then we'll go for a ride. Hi, this is Sam LeBaugh, writer of today's episode of The Lift, Seeing Everything. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at justastorypod.com or on the iTunes store under Audio Dime Museum. You can find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? Time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. She draped the crisp new flag over the crisp new headstone and stepped back tilting her head to one side appraisingly. There, she thought, ought to shut him up. After straightening her shirt waist, 
Marianne made her way out of the labyrinth of ancestors and church folk, dirt farmers and tired old matriarchs, to the little gravel path that led to the white wooden chapel. I must spend more time in the cemetery than anyone in Chankapin Parish, except Widow McDade, she told herself, looking around and feeling the full emptiness of the little box of bones in the middle of the deep pine forest of northwest Louisiana for the first time. Even the widow, who still dressed in all faded black after all these years, like she was Queen Victoria or something, hadn't braved the ball-open sun and the August heat to do her grieving. Old man Charlie would have to wait till this evening, when the heat wasn't so oppressive, the humidity so stifling, and the shadows so short. Don't worry, she'll be here for long, she told the stone as she passed it, letting her hand graze its rugged top. Reaching the wrought iron gate, she was shocked to hear a whistle come from a Model A that looked as if it had seen better days. Marianne Freeman. A deep voice called from the open window. Marianne, is that you? The driver's door opened. Two spit-shined patent shoes were peeking out, and along with them, the bottom of a cane. But it wasn't an old man using it. Last I checked. How you been, Reese? I didn't know you made it back. I've been all right. Real glad to be home. You sure have grown up since I last saw you. Reese looked down, a slight smile upon his face. He was still so handsome, she thought, feeling her ears grow hot and knowing her face must have reddened. She looked down under the pretense of brushing her hair out of her face. A lot's changed since then, she said weakly, implying more than she had meant to. Reese put one hand on her shoulder as a conciliatory gesture. I was so sorry to hear about what happened with Milo. It could have been any of us. None of us came home the same. He glanced down at his legs. My scars are on the outside. That's the only difference. How do you know? Don't worry. I'm not gonna tell anybody. Your brother and your family have always been real good to me. And I respect y'all's decision about that. Thank you, Reese. I don't think people around here could understand. There's so much whispering and gossip already. Secret's safe with me. And look, I mean this. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Well, it's real good to see you, but I gotta get back and help Mama put up preserves. Can I give you a ride? I don't have anywhere to be. Just stop to speak. Oh, that's all right. I don't mind the walk. Why had she said no? Marianne wondered as she trudged down the dirt trail toward her little shotgun house. She was well beyond the point of dignified dewiness. She'd begun to sweat profusely. The red dust from the road stuck to her legs, and she was just plain mad. Why was she so angry at Reese? Maybe it was just because he was alive and her brother wasn't. The walk home seemed longer than it should have. Maybe she was mad at herself for not accepting the offer. She started to cry, only heavy, silent tears at first, but then she descended into a full-scale tantrum befitting a two-year-old in church. 
She turned off the main road toward a clearing in the tree line and threw herself on the grass. God forbid anyone see another Freeman acting crazy, she thought. Why'd people have to be so judgmental and mean? She never felt this way in the cemetery. The dead were quiet, and they knew how to keep secrets. She righted herself, sitting up and peered around the clearing. She tried to wipe the tears, but just spread dirt across her face, making a salty layer of mud. That's when she saw it. A building that didn't belong here. Not only had it not been there this morning, but it didn't look like anything in town. The tallest building in town was the three-story hotel, and this was at least twice as tall. Stranger still, there were sidewalks and a light post directly in front of it, neither of which were installed here, not even on Main Street. Getting to her feet, she walked toward the entrance without hesitation. Marianne entered the tall building with the kind of confidence and familiarity it was reserved for the home of one of her grandmothers or some other kin without even knocking. That's when she heard a sweet voice in an accent as pronounced as her own, yet completely different in its origin, saying her name. Marianne! Mary Ann Freeman! Yes, she said, reaching the clerk's counter in the lobby of the out-of-place, out-of-time building. There was something luxurious about the place, or there had been at least. Like the rest of the country, it appeared that the building had fallen into disrepair over the course of the Depression and two wars. Still, it had been grand, like Terra or Seven Oaks in that Clark Gable picture, Marianne decided. Just then, in one quick motion, a child popped to her feet behind the counter, giving Marianne a quick jolt. Seeing Marianne jump, she giggled <laughs> as a sly smile stretched across her cherubic face. The little girl looked to be about eight or nine. Marianne hadn't worn her hair in pigtails since she was around that age, so that seemed right to her. She wore a lavender postman's cap and a thick double-breasted jacket, which was the same shade of purple as the bows corralling her capricious blonde curls. I suppose I should say boo. Boo! Marianne jumped again. <laughs> she wasn't afraid. She was just hazy, entranced, and so deeply curious about what was happening that every sudden motion was startling. Her mind was reeling. How had reality become so slick and hard to grab hold of? Despite the disorientation, she felt at home somehow. All she had wanted since Milo, since that day, was to be quiet and secret and away from everyone and everything familiar. Against all odds, here in the pine forests of Chankapin Parish, her wish had been granted by this building and this little porcelain child. My name is Victoria and I have some letters for you, the girl said, patting the pocket of her jacket. Marianne noticed the room was impossibly cool for a Louisiana August day and decided this must not be a dream because of her goosebumps. She nodded absently as the girl rounded the counter whistling and winding the key of a music box. 
The twinkling little melody played, and it matched up with the one she'd been whistling perfectly, picking up where she'd left. Follow me. We need to take the lift, she said brightly. Marianne's stomach lurched in apprehension. She knew things were about to change, but she couldn't say why or how, and she seemed to be following the girl down the hall despite wanting to turn and run for the door. Suddenly, she recognized the melody playing on the music box. I know this song, Marianne said. Of course you do, sis. You've been messing about with stories, haven't you? It gets stuck in your head when you start doing things like that, the child said with an authority someone that young should not possess. I've never been on an elevator before, Marianne said as she stepped into the box. Victoria smiled a little, pushing the number six button. That's funny. They're not terribly scary. Here, I'll read these to distract you. Victoria removed an envelope from the inner pocket of her jacket, and Marianne immediately recognized the handwriting. Her eyes widened. No. No. No, she thought. Not those. The girl began to read the letters, pretending not to notice the panic on Marianne's face. Dear little sis, the country is beautiful. Even if we are tearing it up something awful. When we've ended all this fighting and life gets back to normal, I'm sure it'll get put back together again. I want to bring you here one day. It won't be this way forever. Love, Milo. The elevator dinged, indicating they were now on floor six. But the doors didn't budge. Marianne reached to open them herself, not realizing yet that they should have parted on their own. No, no, they don't work that way. Let's just give it a moment to think. Victoria said gently as she reached for her hand. You have more mail. Dear Marianne. They don't don't use mustard gas anymore. It was too awful to use it again. (laughs) More awful than this? What must that have been like? Thank God for small favors, I guess. Love, Milo. The elevator bucked and then moved upward at a glacial pace. Oh my, it seems we're not meant to get off here after all, Victoria said a bit surprised. Maybe we need to pick someone up on another floor, she added a bit coyly. As the elevator groaned, she withdrew a longer letter from her pocket and read, Dear Marianne, I think I killed a boy today. He looked like Reese. Blonde hair, blue eyes, or green. Hard to describe. Just a pure color in the dark. Lighter and more alive than anything else on the ground. Think about it, sis. The whole world was red and brown, and here's this one spot of blue-green. It stands out. His eyes. His eyes stayed open the entire time. The color never went out of him. Even when they changed. I think... I think he called out to me. 
I haven't learned German. I don't know, but it could have been Polish. I don't know exactly. He said Papa and other things too, of course. That has to mean father, right? He wanted his daddy. And I wanted him to have him. Miller, another fellow in my unit, took his gun off him. He was wounded. How, I can't remember. That's a blur. Not Miller, the boy. He was injured. He was dying, or at least he believed he was. And I did too. And Miller turns to me and hands me the boy's gun. He says, Freeman, you want to put him out of his misery? He was in misery. Pure and total misery. So I did. I couldn't leave him like that, Marianne. I want to think it was mercy, but I know in the pit of my stomach, it was just a waste. Such a waste of life. Like this war. Such a hideous waste, sis. Forgive me. Love, Milo. The elevator had all but stopped, and Marianne's face was covered in fresh tears, clearing away lines of her dusty veil. I have to read the rest, Victoria said apologetically. That was a sad one, but we have to finish. Okay? Dear Marianne, we came came to to the camps today. I cannot tell you the things I saw. What man is capable of is darker than any work the devil might hope to do. They were liberated. The world is going to change. Or it has, or maybe it always has been this way. I'm so, so thankful that you are safe and alive that you've never seen things like this. Love, Milo. Dear little sister, do you think it was like this when they fought wars in America? Did soldiers step out of their front doors and go to war, fire a gun at their brother, and then walk home? Do you think they walked home after the dust settled? Love, Milo. Dear Marianne, I hear the most terrible things about the fighting with the Japs. Sounds like hell. The way the fellows talk, I can just see it. I can't stop seeing it. They use swords, sis. Swords. Love, Milo. Dear little sister, I'm walking home. I can't do this anymore. I love you, Marianne. And I will see you soon. Love, Milo. The elevator shot upward with a dizzying speed to the eighth floor. This is our floor. Before we let off, I need to make sure something is true, Marianne. Look at me. Marianne hadn't realized she'd been clenching her eyes closed. She opened them now, 
and saw that Victoria was wearing a dress from the first days of this century and that she looked unnaturally pale. The little girl's eyes burned into her, and she knew trying to lie about whatever she asked would be pointless. She had a keen sense that she already knew. Milo wrote these letters after he was home, didn't he? Yes. When we put him in the upstairs room, he started writing and writing and writing. The rest of her answer was choked by her sobs. He went AWOL, and you and your family were so ashamed that you locked him up in your own home while you were all trying to figure out how to cover it up. Now, I have to tell you, Marianne, I have a real problem with the idea of locking someone you're meant to care for in an attic. But I'll try to put that aside, for now. He wanted to tell the world about what he'd seen, the things they were doing at the camps, the brutal kind of fighting going on on the front. Those things haunted him. Being locked up with a bunch of ghosts can drive you a little mad, sis. Actually, here. The elevator door drew open. I'll let him explain. The room before them was stark and bleak. It smelled like diesel and sweat and the walls were papered with horrific images. Stacks of skeletons that were still covered in skin. People starved and stripped naked, then piled up like logs. A soldier's head on a spike in front of a dense jungle. A dense cluster of bodies on a beach being pulled into the landscape by a rising tide. Gunshot wounds and amputations and gore and grit and dirt. Cities that had been homes to real people who ate breakfast together and read bedtime stories and picked out shirts to put on that day, reduced to piles of ash and rubble. Marianne had seen things like this in the newspaper halftone, but seeing like this in color, so big, this was different. As she was preparing to ask Victoria why she was showing her this, she noticed the figure in the corner. It was too dark to make out the features, but she was almost sure that it was a person. The air grew taut as she forced herself to move toward it. She might have admitted that she knew what it was if it wasn't consuming all her energy and will just to keep going. As she neared it, she could make out a familiar copper color atop its head. With another labored step, its silhouette came into focus. Its back was to her, sitting on the floor, clutching its knees. She gulped and dragged her foot toward the figure. She could almost touch it now, and she could make out the angle of its nose and the line of its lips. Marianne wanted to speak his name aloud, she was afraid to be wrong. Oh, God, how is this possible, she thought. As often and as deeply as she had wished that this might happen, she never, for one instant, believed it could. She reached out with her right hand ever so tentatively. Only when she saw her outstretched arm before her did she realize she was trembling. She drew a deep breath to steady herself. Startling it, in a single fluid motion it was on its feet, gasping for air like it had been underwater, 
a deep, painful, urgent inhalation, followed by a deep, dark cry from a deep, dark place. Oh, oh, no, no, oh, God, no, she stammered, bringing her hands to her face, wanting to cover her eyes for a moment, but then realizing she needed to cover her mouth. It felt as if the word no was stuck on her lips and she had to say it to breathe. No, 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 she continued under the muffling grace of her hands. It moved toward her, into the glow of the elevator sign, and she saw it again. She felt a vibration in the back of her throat, slow and sliding, and not very loud. The sound people make when they are fighting a scream, she realized. She wanted to scream. Instead, she steeled herself and asked through her hands, Hello? It looked at her sadly, or it looked toward her sadly. Whipping her head around to face the lift, she demanded, What happened to his eyes? Tell her what happened to your eyes, Milo. He straightened up as if he had only just remembered that he was a man. He looked down at his hands, noting the bloody fingertips, before bringing them to his face. He ran his hands along the surface of his eyelids, as if he had begun to notice they didn't feel right. Then he opened his eyes and traced the contour of the empty socket with his index finger. He looked to Marianne. Must have gouged him out, he said matter-of-factly. I can never tell what's happening to me and what's happening to someone else. It didn't help, sis. I can still see everything. Cannot stop seeing everything. Marianne backed a few steps toward the elevator, an uncomfortable, knowing look on her face. Milo seemed to droop out of sentience and bellowed again, clawing at his face. In her retreat, she stumbled over Victoria, who drew closer as Milo spoke. She turned to face the child who asked, Why can't he stop seeing everything, sis? She was stone-faced, hands on her hips, and all the laughter had gone out of her. Victoria had somehow become a different entity, and there was an edge of anger about her that struck Marianne's heart. Uh, I don't... Yes, yes you do. Think. Think hard, Marianne, the child said in a steady voice that seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere. Marianne turned to explain the things she'd done to her big brother, to beg his forgiveness. But the room had changed. It was set up like the family parlor on the day of Milo's wake, when they laid him out at home. The same flowers filled the air with a sickly sweet perfume. The same service photos stood on its easel. The same kerosene lanterns cast a warm yellow glow on the same handsome casket. The casket. Was he? Had he? She edged toward the casket, opened before her, and peered inside. There was her brother, her hero, back in that damn box, with those big silver dollars on his eyes holding them closed. He was gone again. Just then, 
Marianne watched an image of herself walk toward the casket, like a movie playing out on a screen that she was powerless to stop. The copper-haired girl in the black dress gave a clandestine glance around the room to make sure no one was looking. She plucked the coins from his eyes and slipped them in her pocket before hurrying from the room. Marianne turned to meet Victoria's gaze. Why did you do that, sis? Victoria asked coolly. Looking at her scuffed saddle loafers, she said, To buy the flag. Why? Because I didn't want people to know that he'd gone AWOL or crazy, that he'd been dishonorably discharged, that he'd killed himself. He can't rest, Marianne. He can see everything. He's watching everything that ever hurt him all over again. He's watching himself rot away underground. Victoria explained evenly as the lift's doors sprang open behind her. Get in, sis. We're going to your floor. Marianne followed penitently, still staring at her shoes. What floor, ma'am? A deep voice drawled, reaching for the buttons. Marianne spun to see Milo standing in the lift, looking radiant and rakish and as beautiful as she remembered him. His stance was easy and confident, and the corner of his mouth threatened a smile. Before she could stop herself, she'd thrown her arms around him, causing him to let out a surprised chuckle. Unsure what was happening, but not wanting to question her good luck, Marianne straightened and faced the doors, taking her brother's hand in her own. Six, please. Sure thing, missy, he said, pressing the button. Marianne couldn't stop beaming at him, but as the bell for floor six sounded and the doors flew open, her expression changed. Milo was sucked into the void of the darkened hallway as if by a backdraft. Before Marianne had a chance to ask any questions, he appeared back in the light emanating from the lift. Sis? He asked apprehensively as his skin began to boil and crack. Then Marianne saw them, moving steadily and surely toward her brother, who clawed at his face manically. They were living, animate versions of all Milo's ghosts. The images on his cell wall come to life. Each of the phantoms mouthed one word over and over, and though they all spoke different languages, Marianne somehow understood they were saying, Help! The skeletons from the camps, and the men from the beaches, and the pieces of bodies from the theater of war crawled toward her brother, who cried out in pain under the strain of the ghosts. Milo! She called out helplessly, running through the vitriol and the viscera surrounding him, only fearing that she wouldn't be able to help. Milo! She begged, gripping his shoulders trying to snap him out of his fit. Look at me. Oh, please, Milo. I'm so sorry. I understand now. I would do anything to take it back. Please. As suddenly as the vortex of ghouls had appeared, it fell quiet. And again, the corridor was empty. You said you would do anything. Victoria asked. Did you mean that? Yes. You have to let him go. Living for a ghost torments both of you, and it isn't fair. Marianne nodded meekly, 
and Victoria, taking her at her word, wound the key of her music box once more. Milo peeked from the elevator, wearing his dress blues. Come close up, don't cross the threshold, Victoria said in a sing-song voice. Now, kneel down, she bossed. Milo listened to her instructions, dropping to a knee in the lift. Now, close your eyes and no peeking, (laughs) she said with a giggle. She climbed on his back and covered his eyes with her hands. Do you trust me? Yes, ma'am. I sure do, Milo said playfully. Then stand up and walk forward. And Victoria easily piloted him across the room. As Marianne followed their progress with her eyes, lost in happy memories of summer afternoons spent playing games like this years ago, she noticed the casket was once more before her. Victoria had managed to coach Milo inside, and she tucked him in, as if he were a sick child. There you are, she said. Snug as a bug in a rug. What do I do now? Marianne asked. You'll need to cover his eyes, Victoria said, as she stood on tiptoe to keep her hands over his eyes. With what? I don't have any coins. Look on the foot of the casket. Marianne then saw the flag. The thing that had seemed so all-important such a short time before, and everything made perfect sense. She grabbed the flag and ripped one long red stripe from it. She then folded it in half and tested the thickness of the cloth. It was perfect. No light came through. She nodded to Victoria, who removed her hand from Milo's eyes. Sit up just a little. Marianne said as she tied the blindfold around his head. Milo let out a sigh. That's perfect. Thank you. You're welcome, Marianne said, trying to smile through the tears that covered her cheeks. She noticed two dark dots on the red strip of fabric, blocking her brother's view. Those were tears, too, she realized. I'm sorry, she said sincerely. Me too, he said, his voice catching a little. I'm so, so sorry. Marianne brushed a stray sprig of hair from his face and leaned down to kiss his forehead. I see you around, okay? He said with a sniff. I love you, sis. I love you too, Marianne said. I'll look after him, don't worry. Thank you, Victoria, for everything. Marianne said, turning to face the little girl. Instead, she found herself back in the cemetery. Widow McDade made her way down the path to see old man Charlie, and the sun was in the west. Turning to her brother's headstone, she whispered, See you around.